0: Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with, M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome everyone to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have with us Mr. Benjamin Pizer. Benjamin is a tax manager of exceptional quality. He specializes in tax consulting and compliance for mid-sized businesses and the individuals who own them. If you're an entrepreneur and or a real estate investor, Benjamin is definitely someone you'd want advising you. Prior to working with HKG, Benjamin was the managing partner of Kassan Pitzer LLP. Anyone who works with Benjamin or has knows that he is passionate about taxes and providing his clients with a high quality experience. Benjamin is also known for his sharp wit and culinary prowess. So let's give Benjamin a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So hey Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you Don for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Oh yeah, it's a pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time to share some of your um, insight and perspective on things. Sure. All right, great. So yeah, I wanted to jump right in and um, you know discuss um, how taxes can uh, can affect entrepreneurs' business and how they operate. So I wanted to, um, what are some of the things entrepreneurs should consider? in the realm of tax mitigation and reducing their exposure.
1: Yeah, so these days, taxes have been front and center uh, for a number of reasons. During the pandemic especially, we've been seeing a lot of tax incentives introduced to keep businesses going. Uh, A lot of these are directed towards retaining employees, uh, tax incentives related to uh, restaurants and hospitality Uh, venue operators. And so it's really important that if you are a business owner that has the ability to take advantage of some of these tax credits or tax incentives, that you look to see what's available. Part of that is just having discussions with the CPA that you work with and and letting them know that you are interested in being proactive about uh, doing your tax planning. Because There is a lot of opportunity out there, and many of these credits, even the ones for the 2020 or the 2021 period that have already passed, we can take a look at and retroactively apply those credits. And so it's really, really important that you look at those opportunities, and and it is an advantage that you can get by industry. So it really depends on what field you're looking in as well.
0: Okay, and and those credits, those are available for any size business, whether you be small, medium size, or large businesses?
1: There are different credits available to different size taxpayers in different industries. And so there's no one size fits all approach. And, And that's one of the things about taxes. There are so many unique situations and those opportunities are available for those who are paying attention and so what i would say to an entrepreneur is make sure that not only do you talk with your cpa but also you give them really clear understanding of the types of things that you're trying to do and the things that you have done in the past oftentimes one of the the biggest challenges that I have is working with people who have engaged in a lot of transactions and, and don't think to mention it until after the fact. The earlier you can bring in a CPA, the easier it is for them to structure whatever deal you're trying to do or whatever transaction you're trying to have in a more tax efficient way.
0: Okay. Okay, got it. And do you recommend most entrepreneurs have a bookkeeper as well to supplement their CPA or should they just be bringing all this to the attention of the CPA when it's tax time?
1: Yeah. So depending on what it is that you're doing, if you have your own uh, practice uh, or or your own uh, sole proprietorship, really helpful to have a bookkeeper. I think that it's really not a, a good use of the, the entrepreneur's time to be uh, spending their time doing uh, data entry or bookkeeping mm-hmm. and really to leave that thing to s- someone who's dedicated to, to doing that all day. The entrepreneur should be focused on what they're best at, and that's the, the vision of their business.
0: Definitely, definitely. Okay. And then let's say you're yeah. doing... I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you have something well, to
1: add? That, that's not to say that I, I don't. I do think that it is helpful for an entrepreneur to be very familiar with their books. And part of that is, especially when, when they're just starting out or uh, uh, they're new to being a business owner, being very familiar with the books helps to provide a clear understanding of how healthy the business is, where your money is going. And so I I think it's really important that the entrepreneur, uh, if they're not doing the the accounting themselves, they are very involved in the accounting process, at least at first, so that they truly understand the health of their business.
0: Okay. Understood. Okay. So let's say um, you're doing lots of business and or real estate acquisitions. What are some of the What are some of the things things one needs to be mindful of as to how these activities can affect one's tax obligations?
1: Sure. So, if you're uh, operating as an investor, and uh, there's many different types of investment vehicles that you can get into, uh, but when it comes to real estate, you're probably going to be involved in some sort of a partnership, and it's really important that the investor understand what the consequences are from a tax perspective of that investment. And most partnerships are treated as a flow through entity. And that that essentially means that the income is not taxed at the partnership level, that there are flow through tax attributes that go to the partners themselves. generally in the context of real estate, uh, because we have an opportunity to take a lot of depreciation expense uh, that might translate to uh, losses, even if there is net cash flow. Uh, But it's also important to be aware that if you are invested in a lot of uh, different activities uh, that you have a clear understanding of what the tax impact is, because you may be in a situation where You haven't received any cash but there may be tax liabilities associated with that investment and so that that is important that you're in regular communication with uh, the person handling the finances of of the investment uh and making sure that your accountant is aware that you have these investments when you initially make the the transaction uh it's it's very Easy to be put in a position where there might be uh, taxable activity within the partnership that may, may be important for tax planning purposes. But uh, if you are not aware of it, you can't take action on it.
0: Okay, got it, got it. And what are, Ben? What are some of the best tech strategies you've seen or suggested for your clients involved with business ownership and or large scale commercial real estate?
1: Yeah, commercial real estate is one of those areas where there are a lot of opportunities from a tax perspective. Now, one of the things that we focus on is uh, helping to reduce our clients tax liability uh, through uh, tax deferral techniques like uh, 1031 exchanges or like-kind exchanges. And this works essentially by uh, taking a property that has appreciated in value uh, that you may want to sell, and when you sell that property, taking the proceeds from that property, putting it into an accommodator, and using those proceeds to purchase another like-kind property. So this could be another commercial property, but it could also be uh, it could be a land investment or it could be a residential property, uh, and by doing this, you can defer some or all of the gain from the previous sale. Now there's various restrictions on doing like kind exchanges. And there are certain timelines that have to be met. So planning is really important. Uh, You need to make sure that you understand how you're going to be investing the money after the sale, because you only have 45 days to identify the properties that you want to exchange into and 180 days to actually execute on them. But this is a really great way to defer tax liability and, and able, uh, be able to grow your portfolio without losing some of it to the state or federal government. Uh, another strategy that we like to use from a real estate uh, standpoint is cost segregation studies. Mm and cost segregations, we're we're generally working with engineers to identify different aspects of the building that may have depreciable lives that we can deduct at a faster rate. Generally commercial real estate is deducted over a 39 year life. But if we can identify property within that, that, that building that can be depreciated at a quicker rate or even allows for what we call bonus or accelerated depreciation, we may be able to get a tax deduction now rather than waiting 39 years to get the benefit. Now ultimately this is a timing difference, but when you're looking at a 39 year horizon, the the time value of money often makes it worthwhile to do this. And and we work with a lot of clients where they have consistently growing real estate portfolios and Mm -hmm. we're able to push the tax down the road by continuing to acquire larger properties, do cost segregations on those properties, take accelerated depreciation, use the tax savings to acquire more properties so on and so forth.
0: Okay. So, yeah, in our syndications, we work with the um, cost segregation a lot. Can you talk a little bit more about how that cost segregation or how those cost segregation benefits would flow through to the passive investors investing in a real estate syndication?
1: Sure. So when you are an investor and you are not actively involved and you're not a real estate professional, there are different rules on how those losses can be treated. And in general, if you have only losses from passive activities, those losses ultimately get suspended and can't be utilized against your other income sources that are active in nature. And so this is why it's really important if if you do have a robust portfolio, you can have some activities that may uh, be generating taxable income and others with losses that you can use to offset them. By itself, a passive investor who's receiving losses is generally not going to get much of an immediate tax benefit, though those losses can ultimately be freed up when the asset itself, usually the partnership interest is sold or disposed of in some way and that that can free up those losses that are being suspended due to those passive activity limitations okay excellent so the 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 short answer is if you want to really take advantage of passive losses find ways to generate passive income okay
0: and that, that can offset that. Okay, got it. All right, and Ben, there's, there's so much information out there regarding taxes and so many people willing to give you advice on business and taxes. So when you have clients with considerable assets, what, what are some of the most challenging issues they run into when trying to protect and grow their wealth? I
1: think one of the biggest challenges that I run into when working with clients is uh, the clients may not always uh, be responsive to the advice. And and so the, the biggest challenge is the clients themselves. And that's making sure that their record keeping is good. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with, their focus is on building a business and, and developing a product or... Uh, some some form of uh, some form of business plan. And the record keeping generally is something that takes a backseat. And it's really important to have good clean records to make sure that from the very beginning, you set up a solid foundation from an accounting standpoint and a legal standpoint. Because as an entrepreneur, you want to plan for being successful and when you have success and there is money involved, it becomes much more important that the accounting framework and the legal framework is set up properly. And a lot of people who are just getting started or are entrepreneurs, they have limited budgets, limited access to capital and they want to prioritize what they understand is important and and that's building their product and, and making sure that they're they're paying for the correct personnel and those types of things and those things are incredibly important but don't overlook the importance of good record keeping and good legal structure because that's a good framework to continued success because once the larger dollar amounts are there. Sometimes it can be very expensive to go back and fix what wasn't done properly in the beginning. And some of those problems uh, become very expensive. Uh, let me give you an example. When when we work with clients, uh, especially in the the C corporation arena, we want to make our make sure that we're set up to take advantage of the qualified small business stock treatment, and this is uh, for for people who don't know. It's a it's a qualified small business stock uh, has certain benefits that you would get that you wouldn't find in your your Apple or your Facebook stock that you you can buy on the public market. If you have an investment. In qualified small business stock that you've held for five years and you have a major capital gain event, if everything is structured properly, you can exclude up to $10 million of taxable gain or wow. 10 times your initial basis, whichever is greater. And so this is a, a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of that when you're small, You might not be thinking about because that might seem a ways away and you might think well i can get myself structured to to do all of the tax and and legal things correctly later and and sometimes that sets you up for for paying more tax than you really should and so getting that framework set up now or at the earliest stage possible, allows you to take advantage of the benefits in the future.
0: Okay, definitely. That's some very sound advice. Actually, I didn't know about that. That's good to know. Okay, and um, let's talk about um, debt for a minute. I know a lot of people think of debt as bad, but if, um, how can I use debt, if at all, to reduce my tax exposure for my business and or real estate holdings?
1: So on the real estate side, uh, oftentimes debt can be used as a way of acquiring additional depreciable assets that you can take depreciation on to ultimately bring down your tax liability. If you're able to continue to grow your assets and using debt as a means of doing that, it, it is a way of getting cash flow that doesn't trigger an income tax liability. Because if you take on debt, that's not considered income. So if you use debt to acquire a property, let's say for instance, you're acquiring a property for $30 million and $20 million of it is debt and 10 is equity. You are taking a depreciation expense on the $30 million, the the full purchase price of the asset, and not just the cash that you've put in. So you can use leverage to not only purchase assets that would be otherwise unaffordable, but there is a tax asset that you get as well. Now, there is a a downside to debt, and Uh, Sometimes uh, it's really important to understand that uh, when you're repaying debt, that is not a tax deduction. So Mm -hmm. the interest may be tax deductible, but when you have debt that has to be repaid, you are not getting a deduction and you may be having to recapture some of the deductions that you've had in the past if you have gain that is greater than the initial purchase price, for instance.
0: Okay, and does that depreciation work the same if you're um, purchasing a business rather than real estate?
1: So the principle is similar, but it's different and it it really depends on how the business itself is being acquired. An asset purchase, for instance, you're, if you're purchasing the assets of the business, uh, that those assets uh, you, you would typically go through an asset allocation and determine how much of the business is related to goodwill or to fixed assets or real property. And to the extent that you have allocated any amount to goodwill, that is something that you can amortize as a tax deduction over 15 years. And depending on the other assets that you're allocating to, there may be depreciation or amortization for that as well, which is a tax benefit. If you're purchasing stock, for instance, you're not getting that same depreciation benefit. So from a buyer standpoint, uh, sometimes there is an advantage to uh, purchasing assets. Uh, and, And generally, As a buyer, uh, the other advantage is by purchasing assets, you're not purchasing some of the uh, skeletons in the closet that you might be Mm. purchasing if you were actually buying ownership in the company itself.
0: Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And and that's some good advice, Ben. And I think a lot of people, you've talked about a lot of things that certain, accountants might not be aware of. So, I mean, even talking about real estate, I think I hear a lot of um, our LPs saying that their accountants have never heard of cost segregation. So my question would be, what what should one be looking for when choosing a CPA that is knowledgeable with corporate structures and real estate structures? What kind of questions should they be asking?
1: Well, these days, I think one of the most important One of the most important things you want to to be aware of with your CPA is you want to make sure that they're staying on top of new tax law. And these days, because we have seen so many changes to the tax law, if your CPA is not keeping up with those changes, then you're running the risk of them making a mistake or leaving money on the table in the form of tax credits or tax deductions. So it's really important that when when you're talking to someone that may be your CPA or you're looking for as a CPA, identifying whether they're keeping up to date and how they communicate tax updates to their clients. We, uh, for instance, uh, will send out uh, uh, newsletters when there are major tax updates that impact a lot of our clients. Uh, there are many, many different tax law changes that we've seen in the last couple of years, and we've uh, expect to see more. Uh, currently, uh, Build Back Better is in limbo uh, with Congress, but. That doesn't mean there won't be any tax legislation passed in 2022, but we are keeping an eye on it and making sure that if something does pass, we're able to communicate to our clients what it is and and how they can benefit from it.
0: Okay. All right, Ben, and switching gears now, before we jump into the lightning round, I think we hear a lot these days in the media that um, the wealthy or the uber-wealthy should be paying more of their fair share of taxes. I mean, we hear about some paying little to no federal taxes at all. So um, to that end, can, can you explain how and why that happens and how sure. owning businesses and real estate helps one to sometimes reduce their tax obligations to zero?
1: Yeah. Well, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where... In real estate in particular, there are a lot of ways that you can essentially push down your income tax liability to further down the road through uh, things like cost segregations or, or like-kind exchanges that we've already talked about. Uh, but you know, one thing that the very wealthy have uh, an opportunity to do is take on more debt than the average person. And, and so uh, it, it's it's a popular strategy for people who have assets that have appreciated, and, and this could be in the form of ownership in corporate stock that has uh, grown wildly in, in uh, the last several years, and rather than selling that stock to realize the capital gain, using those assets as collateral to take on debt uh, with the idea that the value of these assets is going to grow faster than the interest on the debt will, which Mm -hmm. allows them to continue to accumulate wealth without triggering any tax consequences.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: But generally the, the the more businesses someone has, the more uh, investments they have, the more levers they have to pull on to adjust their tax liability in a way that's favorable. It's really uh, the, the standard employee who doesn't have real estate investments, doesn't have a lot of strategies that they can take advantage of to lower their liability. And so they generally are hit with the highest rates. Uh, it's It's the business owners that have the most in terms of tax strategies and opportunities uh, and and access to to credits that are intended to incentivize certain business behaviors like retaining employees, for instance.
0: Okay, Excellent. All right, Ben, thanks for that. So before we let's hop off, I want to put you through the lightning round to see see what makes you tick, so sure. to speak. So what, what book or books have greatly influenced your life?
1: So I would say uh, one of the books that I, I've really uh, been enjoying over the last several years is Ruleman's 20. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a cookbook by Michael Ruleman, And one of the things that I love about it I love to cook for, for one thing and it rather than focusing on recipes focuses on technique and the book is broken out into 20 different techniques and I think it's a really a more intuitive way to learn cooking than individual recipes and it's one of those uh, cookbooks that I've been trying to work my way from front to to, to back, which you really can't do with a lot of cookbooks. So I, I enjoy that one quite a
0: bit. It's called Ruleman's 20?
1: Ruleman's 20.
0: Okay, Ruleman's 20. All right. And how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later?
1: Sure. W- when I started my career, I-, I was an intern at a public accounting firm. And the way that this particular firm operated, they hired about 15 interns at the beginning of the filing season, but everyone to work with the 60 hour work weeks uh, tax season uh, to just crank out tax return after tax return. And it's a great, it was a great experience. And, and they usually will hire maybe three, three or four people at the end of the term and i was really trying hard to uh to get at one of those positions and they ultimately uh rather than extending me uh, an offer offered to extend my internship that wasn't really what i was looking for and i was initially disappointed by it but it ultimately resulted in me getting access to a firm that really was more suitable for my goals had a wider range of opportunities and more uh, diversity in clients. And and I I think that my career would have been significantly different had I been, uh, had I continued with the firm that I interned with. And so I, I'm actually very grateful that uh, I wasn't given that initial opportunity.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's. It's funny how sometimes those disappointments end up being a golden carrot later, when in, in hindsight. Yeah. All right, so if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say?
1: So it would be that the journey is more important than the destination. And what i mean by that is uh, a lot of times we're very caught up in what our end objective is and and that might be to to sell my company or to make get that next promotion or to close a deal and we have this idea of what it takes for us to get there and and we we, we believe that once we get to that point, there will be something about our lives that will be different from that point forward. And for me, that viewpoint, it tends to prevent us from being able to really engage with the present moment and to be able to enjoy the process of getting there because we spend so much more of our lives in the journey than at the destination and if we can't enjoy the journey we're never going to really appreciate the
0: destination absolutely yeah that's some sage advice absolutely yeah i think we get caught up in the day-to-day so much we forget to enjoy ourselves so definitely Okay, what's your favorite place to think big? So for me, it's
1: not necessarily a specific place. But when I need to really do some critical thinking, whether this is general uh, career thinking or about a particular problem that i've been working through that has been causing me some challenges i like to drive uh, sometimes i use the commute to work as an opportunity to think just turn the radio off drive in silence and so often today uh we we constantly have something going on. If you are out in public anywhere and you look around, nobody can be left alone without having a phone or something to look at to keep them engaged. Hmm. And because we're constantly in a state of taking in information, we're not really spending enough time processing the information that we already have and so having a a moment where i can be quiet with my own thoughts is incredibly important and making sure that i'm not listening to that latest podcast episode uh though maybe this one i might be uh or or listening to music or something that is keeping my mind engaged but instead engaging my mind with itself.
0: Hmm. Okay, excellent. And Ben, what have you become better at saying no to?
1: Uh, Probably, and and this is a continual struggle, uh, saying no to taking on new clients that don't fit my overall strategic needs. And, and and these are clients that may be great people or come from a referral source that I like, and I and I feel some sense of obligation to to work with that client. But ultimately, their me taking on their business does not further my own objectives, and uh, maybe they're not a uh, they're not a good fit in the long term, or they uh, they don't have Uh, a lot of growth potential or they're they're, uh, the type of client that has messy financials or doesn't, uh, doesn't listen to professional advice. And so being able to say no and to recognize when a potential new client doesn't suit those needs.
0: Okay. All right. And last one before we hop off. What important truth do very few people agree with you on?
1: So I believe that you can get more done in 50 hours of work than you can get done in 70. And I think it can be counterintuitive. In our profession, uh, in public accounting, working long hours is just seen as part of the job. And it's really not uncommon for people to work in excess of 65 hours. And that's also true of entrepreneurs. And you even hear it, uh, the, the, this is kind of one of the things you hear from people like Elon Musk, who basically attributes his success to being able to outwork the competition. And mm-hmm. I think to some extent, when you start exceeding 50 hours, and and it could be 40, it could be 30, but um, when you you get to a point where each additional hour of effort provides a diminishing return, and at a certain point, you ultimately end up getting less done than you were getting done at a significantly lower uh, amount of hours. And for me, I, I don't see any reason why I would want to put myself in a position where I am more tired, less able to provide my full attention and clear mindset uh, and not give myself the, the time that I need to focus on the personal things that are important to me. And so I I really encourage everyone to really look at the amount of time that they put into their work and identify what that break-even point is, because it's gonna be different for everyone. But ultimately, if you you might be able to get more done in your first 15-hour workday, but once you get into day three, and you're working 12 to 15 hours you're going to start slowing down and it's going to start to impact the work in the future now that is, that isn't to say that i, I mean when it comes up right up to the deadline I, I i will definitely put in the big hours because uh you need to be able to make that last push but it's not sustainable over the long term
0: hmm. okay definitely All right. Great stuff, Ben. Great stuff. So before we hop off, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, wants to see about representation, what's the best way for them to reach out or get in contact with you?
1: Email is best. Uh, Is that something that you would put in uh, the show notes?
0: Uh, Yeah, definitely. I can do that.
1: Great. Yeah. Email is the best way to reach out to me. And, um, you know, I I usually uh, check my emails, I I do uh, email blocking, so I check my emails about twice a day uh, to make sure that I'm able to effectively respond to emails while not being continuously interrupted throughout the day.
0: Mm, Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'll definitely include those in the show notes. (laughs) All right, Ben, this has been great. We really appreciate you dropping by to uh, share some of your thoughts. It's been very helpful. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. And um, I'll be talking to you real soon, I'm sure.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having
0: me. All right. Thank you, Ben. Talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, Head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.